So excited that you all are here today. Uh, we are in the middle of the series that is called Drinking Poison, Overcoming the Power of Offense. And this has been in a very timely series, uh, you know, just with everything that's going on right now. Um, it's an easy time to be offended. And so the bottom line is that this is all part of prophecy that Jesus gave in Matthew 24. It says, then many, this is what I believe in the end days, this is where we're at. And it says, then many will take offense. And so what you're seeing in the world around you is actually what Jesus said would happen in the end days. And that's a very exciting thing for us because, hey, guys, we know how the book ends, right? We win in the end. And our purpose is to bring as many people along with us as we possibly can. Is that right? So it says, in the last days, many will take offense. Many will betray one another hate one another, and because lawlessness will multiply, which we're seeing that as well, the love of many will grow cold. And then he gives us, in verse 13, he implores us that these things would not seep into the church. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. Now, because we believe that the end is, is near, we want to be focused on what we should have been focused on for the last 2,000 years, which... Uh, in Mark 16, Jesus said to them when he left, this is what we call the Great Commission. This is what he told us, he told us Christians that our lives should be. Everything that we do should center around this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Our job was to proclaim, to preach the gospel to all nations. And so how would they know that we have the truth? Well, in John 13, he gives them the secret. By this, everybody will know that you're my disciples. In other words, they will know that you're carrying the truth when you, are, when you are preaching the gospel if you love one another. You see, this is how love changed the world then and how it's going to continue to change the world. We said it this way. Love is the vehicle by which God's truth, the gospel, is effectively proclaimed. So he knows there's going to be a fence out in the world. People are going to betray each other. They're going to hate each other. Love is going to go, grow cold out in the world. But Jesus knew that love was the vehicle by which we proclaim the gospel so that people would know we're his and that lives would be changed forever. And that we, the bride of Christ, that we would be the messengers of the truth. This is why Jesus was so adamant that we, inside the church, have to protect unity from both sides. Jesus was so concerned about lack of unity and Christians offending each other because he knew it would compromise the gospel. It's the one thing that can drive, that, that if Satan can drive a wedge between us, the truth will be compromised. And so that's why he used love to protect unity from both sides because he knew that if we are compromised, the gospel is compromised because we are the mouthpiece of the gospel. But, Micah, does that mean i got to walk on eggshells all the time? Because, like, last, last week after we talked about offending, the people in the hallway is going, hey, if I ever offended you, I'm sorry. If I ever offended you, I'm sorry. And I don't think that's what it's talking about. But it does bring us to the next challenge in our series. Because so far we've been focusing on us Christians, the church, not offending each other because we are the light of the world. Inside the church we know love is the vehicle by which the gospel is effectively proclaimed. Jesus explained that very clearly. But today, we're going to switch gears a little bit. And here's the question that we're going to answer, all right? What if the truth offends? 
The gospel is truth, and the gospel is offensive. I hate to tell you, but to the world, the gospel is offensive. Isn't it funny that you can use the word God, you can say Buddha, you can say Muhammad, but when you talk about the gospel and you say Jesus, when you're praying, if you just say amen, that's one thing, but when you say in Jesus' name, amen, there is an offensive nature to that. And Jesus would, when, sometimes when Jesus would speak, he was offensive. And here's the, the moral dilemma that we have is the seeming conflict in Scripture. Because in Matthew 18, Jesus said, Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offense comes. All right? So in other words, woe to the man who offends others. But then, just a couple of chapters earlier, Jesus had offended and what seemed like intentionally offended the Pharisees. And the disciples come to Jesus in Matthew 15, and they say, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended? And Jesus replied, speaking of the offended, he said, leave them alone. They're blind guides. Don't mess with them. If they're offended, just leave them alone. Well, that's totally different than what we learned last week about what we do with our brothers and sisters in Christ if they're offended. And so there seems to be this conflict, right? There seems to be conflicting advice, conflicting instructions from Jesus. But the thing is, is that even though Jesus told us not to offend, but he himself offended. Tension. How do we square this? How do we square this where, where Jesus says, woe to the man that offense comes by, and then Jesus says, and he actually says, if you, if you remember your brother is offended, you got to go to him. But then there's this situation where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were offended. And he says, no, leave them alone. They're blind gods. They're leading people astray, for, so let, just leave them alone. So what's the difference? Why did Jesus seem to be telling us one thing and then he'd do another? Because let me just say, we've all been in situations where we've seen something wrong. And we wanted to set somebody straight. Am I the only one? You wanted to point it out. Even though it may offend it, you know, your family members who have the most ridiculous ideas about how the world is supposed to run. And you want to get in there and set them straight, right? With the truth. You know? I can't believe they said that. Let me just go ahead and correct you. The people at work. That, let me, let's just be honest. Just between you and me. They're not real smart. They don't know what they're talking about. You know, they're watching their favorite news station and they're regurgitating everything that they hear and they have no idea what they're talking about. The same thing happens at school, in your society, on social media. And we know Jesus isn't wrong, so it must be okay for me to offend, right? And we've already talked about, we've already dealt with inside the church, but we're talking about outside the church right now. And we know that there were times when Jesus offended, so it must be okay for me to just offend anybody that I want with the truth. But the problem is, he also said by the, the guy who offense comes by is in danger. Woe to him. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to study some of the, inst the, in the instances where Jesus, as well as Paul, decided that offense was needed, the offense was worth it, and there were some situations where he de they decided, no, 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 it's not worth the offense. Okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus, as well as Paul, and how they navigated the truth versus offense. Okay? The truth, of, the truth of God versus offense. All right? Sometimes the church focuses so much on how Jesus loved people that we forget that part of loving people sometimes is being truthful. 
even when it's uncomfortable. And the question we're asking, when is the truth worth offense? All right? Now, Jesus' ministry was at times confrontational and, yes, even offensive at times. And here's the thing. He would always adjust his approach according to his audience. One of the things you'll notice is that Jesus is very strategic about what he does and how he does it and even when he does it. Okay? And there were even times when he was pressed to offend sinners and condemn sinners and sin, and he refused. In fact, there was a lady that was actually caught in the very act of adultery, and she was dragged to Jesus, and Jesus was pressed to condemn her, to be hard on her, to offend her with the truth. And he refused to condemn her for her sin. But other people's sin, he didn't have a problem condemning them and actually offending them. The scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, because they created a direct stumbling block to faith. Jesus seemed to target their self-righteous. I mean, if you read through the Gospels, it was pretty much a virtually unbreakable rule that he had that he would denounce the self-righteous, that he would offend them. He did it in his hometown. He did it when people that were coming to listen to him preach just because of what they could get. I want my miracles and I want the free food. They didn't want to change. They just wanted things for themselves. And Jesus confronted them. But listen, he mainly focused on the religious leaders of the day. You see, Jesus didn't mind offending religious people or religious leaders or causing people to stumble by their self-centeredness. But at the same time, Jesus would comfort the weary, heal the sick. He brought good news to the poor. He taught the truth boldly, but he corrected sinners gently. And he taught the teachable. But man, did he lay into the proud and the smug and the hypocritical, the religious people that were all that way. In fact, he went so far, he called them children of the devil, children of hell, whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers. You bunch of snakes. Sounds offensive to me. He, wasn't, he, wasn't, he didn't, wasn't bothered by offended them. And listen, if you're here and you don't, maybe you don't follow Jesus and you don't come to church a lot, and, and because you have a problem with self-righteous religious people that, who think they're better than everybody else, guess what? You would like Jesus. Because <laughs> Jesus seemed to intentionally offend those people. And the reason that he offended is because they acted like they had everything figured all out. They had God figured all out. They had nothing to learn. They had all the answers. They had all the seats of honor because of it, and they were proud in themselves. And listen, guys, I pray a lot because I hold a leadership role. I'm a religious leader, and I pray that God would help me from not falling into that because, look, that, that I don't have anything else to learn, that my opinions on things are more important than people because I don't want Jesus taking aim at me like he did the religious leaders of that day. Yes, he offended some people. And he had targeted his offense very specifically. Because, watch this, he almost never did it in a public forum, like in a sermon. He almost always did it like when he was talking to people. And there were religious leaders that he actually didn't treat that way. There is an account of a man named Nicodemus. And in this account, I find a key of, to, as to why Jesus was careful to offend, to not offend certain people while he didn't mind offending others. And we find this in John's account of Jesus' life. And so in John 3, he says there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. In other words, 
in the Pharisees, there was a ruling council. There were leaders of all the Pharisees. It was called the Sanhedrin. And Nicodemus was a leader of the religious leaders. All right, so this is a pretty high-ranking guy. But this is the group of people that Jesus tends to offend and call names. Because they're constantly doing things that directly make people stumble at finding God. And so this guy, Nicodemus, it says that he comes to Jesus at night. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to why Nicodemus comes at night. But the obvious thing is that if he is a ruler of the religious rulers who Jesus continually offends and are there trying to take Jesus out, then he would most likely come to Jesus at night because he's trying to avoid anybody seeing him with Jesus. And so we get this imagery of in the middle of the night, Nicodemus sneaks in to Jesus where he's staying. And so probably waking Jesus up in the middle of the night, they probably would have lit a lamp or maybe went outside and started a fire. And in the darkness, in the firelight, Nicodemus begins to ask Jesus questions and good questions. Rabbi, he says, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. A couple things here. Nicodemus calls him rabbi. And in order for a Pharisee, and even more of that, the ruling class, the Sanhedrin, one of the rulers of the Pharisees, to call Jesus this sign of respect, rabbi, that would have been telling to Jesus. And also, from the context here, we see that this guy is not trying to trap Jesus like so many of his friends were, okay? But he was trying to learn and to understand. And you see, the Pharisees knew that according to Nicodemus, look, it didn't say, I know that you're from God. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Amen. So the Pharisees, they knew, which, which tells us how hardened their hearts were against the very Son of God. They knew it. Hmm. But this guy, he's different. And because he's trying to learn and understand, Jesus treats him totally different. Jesus gives him the secret. Back to the story, Jesus replies, Verily, truly, I tell, he's telling him the truth. So he's telling him the truth, but Jesus decides not to offend with the truth, like he has all the other religious leaders. He's careful with it. So the question we're digging for is why this guy? He says, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, born again is a term that Jesus used as a simple example so that we would understand what it means to die to your old self and then begin re being reborn into a brand new life. And Nicodemus is so intent on learning from Jesus that he doesn't want to make a mistake here. So in his quest to learn, he continues to take Jesus seriously and maybe just a little too literally. Because in this illustration, this, this illustration seriously confuses him. And so he asks, how can somebody be born when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb. And at this point, Jesus recognizes and, and actually appreciates the unusually humble spirit that is searching for the truth from a, this religious leader who historically is always trying to trap him. But Nicodemus is actually searching for truth. And so Jesus spends some time in the middle of the night making sure that he doesn't deliver the information to where it's offensive. But instead, reaching out and having a one-on-one -on -one discussion with him. And in that conversation that night, by the firelight, Jesus would tell Nicodemus arguably the most famous verse 
in the Bible. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life, Nicodemus. And if you're here today, you've probably heard that verse, whether you come to church or not. But what we usually forget is what Jesus says next. Because what he tells Nicodemus next it ha will have a special meaning to Nicodemus for the rest of his life. See, he came possibly afraid that Jesus would condemn him and offend him just like he was used to doing to all the Pharisees. But instead, here's what Jesus says to this man. For God did not send his son, God did not send me, Nicodemus, into the world to condemn the world. Nicodemus, that's not why I'm here. That's not the purpose that I'm here. Instead, God sent me to save the world. So what he's saying is, I didn't come to offend you. I didn't even come to offend the Pharisees. I came to save you. Jesus did not pull his punch with the truth. He spelled it out clearly, but he said it very differently to this one who came with a humble heart. And I think this is why Jesus, he usually did not make his offensive statements in sermons. Because when he had a sermon, he had all different types of people. Some were, that were searching for truth and some that were trying to trap him. And he would deliver truth differently to them, the, the people that were trying to trap him versus the people that were trying to learn. But the Pharisees were so hardened that they were trying to actually keep people from coming to faith and Jesus had no problem offending them. And so here's the thing for us, is that Jesus' mission was to reach people, not offend them. Sometimes he did offend them. He wasn't afraid to do that. But he kept his mind on the mission, which was to reach people. That's why months later he would go back to his hometown, and the Bible says that it was his habit to come to church like you guys are today. He walks into the church, and they hand him the book of Isaiah, and he reads his mission statement as to why he's here. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Why? Here it is again. Proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. You see, Jesus' mission was to reach people, not offend them. The only time that he would offend people is when they were in direct conflict with his mission to reach people. That's a key for us, okay? So what if people are offended by the truth? Well, the question that Jesus asked, and I think the question that we have to ask is this. Is the truth that we're possibly offending them with, is it severing, uh, cutting a bridge to actually share the gospel with them? Because Jesus didn't want to put anything between hurdles, any hurdles between him and people he wanted to reach. He, creating disciples was so important to Jesus that he actually, at times, he even gave up his own rights in order to specifically not offend people. You see, for Jesus, it was all about reaching people with the gospel. And that trumped absolutely everything. And here's what's amazing to me. Watch this. Matthew 17. So... The collectors, the tax collectors, the Jewish tax collectors come to Peter and they say, hey, Peter, does your teacher pay the temple tax? So this was a Jewish tax. And so Jesus goes to Simon and he goes, what do you think about this? And then he says, what do you think? And then he does this. He explains he should not be required to pay taxes. He says, from whom do the kings of the earth collect their taxes? 
So do kings collect taxes from their own children or from other people in the kingdom, from others? And Peter said, well, from others, from the people in the kingdom, not their own children. And Jesus says, then the children are exempt. Now, the point he was making here was that the temple was God's house. And as the son of God, Jesus was exempt from the temple tax. This was the truth. The truth was Jesus was right. They were wrong. He did not have to pay the tax. But watch. He says something that is absolutely amazing that I think is going to help us. And it, but it's counterintuitive because you would think that Jesus, the son of God, would demand the truth, his rights, when something was wrong. But he said, so that we may not cause offense. This is Jesus. Go to the lake, throw your line in, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them to pay my taxes and yours, Peter. Jesus performs a miracle, but the reason that he performs this miracle is so that he can pay the taxes that he should not have owned or owed. And why did he do it? So that we may not cause offense. See, Jesus didn't owe the temple tax, but his mission was so much bigger than some taxes, some political thing. He refused to get distracted and allow something so small to offend people from the important message that he had. And look, in this situation, Jesus decides not to stand up for his rights in order to not offend them. But look, it was a matter of moral indifference to him because he was willing to pay rather than offend the very ones that he was trying to win. And look, in non-moral matters, Jesus actually, he seemed to respect the conscience of others and he didn't do anything that would cause offense in non-moral matters so that he could win some. And Jesus' point here, it actually sets an example that would be followed by Paul over and over and over. Because it was, there was a cultural issue with eating meat sacrificed to, to idols. And Paul knew that it was fine to eat meat sacrificed to idols. It's no big deal. But he also knew that it would be a stumbling block of faith to other people. And so in 1 Corinthians, um, he says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights do not become a stumbling block to the weak. He said, when you sin against them, sin against people in this way, ouch, in this way, and wound their weak conscience, your sin against Christ, ouch, twice. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to sin, I, um, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause offense to them. In other words, he's going back around that, look, if offense is going to actually cause a stumbling block to faith, he had his eye on the big picture, why he's here. It was the same reason that Jesus was here to reach people, not offend them. Even though sometimes the gospel offends on its own. All right? So here's the point that, that they're making. And I, actually, I don't like this point, just to be transparent. There are times that we should sacrifice our rights for the sake of the gospel. There were, times that, there were other times that Paul didn't stand up for his right. Uh, he actually knew that circumcision was not required for salvation. Okay? And when it was a stumbling block to people coming to faith, see, he knew that people were putting a roadblock in front of Greeks to come to faith because they didn't want another race. It was a racial thing. They didn't want another race coming in, into their Jewish deal. And so he says, this is what Paul says to him, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Don't stop at circumcision. Just how offensive is that? 
But later, he wanted to recruit a young man into ministry named Timothy. And he wanted to take him along the journey. And he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Paul knew circumcision was not a requirement for circumcision, or for, for circumcision was not a requirement for salvation. But he also knew that if he took this guy with him, it would be a stumbling block. And he wasn't so dogmatic about the truth that he caused a rift in between him and the people he was trying to win. See, he was respectful of Jewish traditions when he was trying to win them to the faith. But he was offensive when those traditions were in the way of faith. All right? So here's the thing. We cannot let offense overshadow our mandate to reach people. What's worth more, my right to be right or my opportunity to share faith, to share Jesus and his, and his church. If it was not a direct stumbling block to faith, it was not worth the offense to, to Jesus or Paul. And look, we, he, he, we all think about indirect stumbling blocks. Like he could have said, now wait a minute, if I pay the temple tax, we're funding the teachers of the law who are leading people astray, so that would be wrong. But Jesus had a choice. Does my tax money going into the temple treasury... And maybe financing these guys who are leading people astray, is that worth offending people that I'm trying to win? So honestly, it was a judgment call for him. And you and I, we have a lot of judgment calls too. I can't tell you what to think. It's not my job to tell you what to think. It's my job to, tell, to use the word of God to tell you how the word of God instructs us to think. Okay? And so this, but this opens our eyes to how Jesus and Paul were thinking and why they offended some people and why they had other people why they were so careful with other people, like Nicodemus, who came on that night in the middle of the night. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Jesus was so focused because he saw somebody who had the potential to follow him. That was the key. And he was so strategic with how he handled the truth with that person. And Nicodemus would leave there that night, and he, and, and he actually didn't leave his job as a religious leader at that moment. And he would have snuck out in the cover of night and he would have went back home and maybe slipped back into his bed and just stayed up all night pondering this amazing conversation that he had with Jesus. And watch this. Later in the Bible says that he would actually defend Jesus to the chief priests. And later on after that, when Jesus dies, Nicodemus would provide all the expensive spices and aloe to actually prepare his body for burial. And history... Jewish history outside the Bible actually tells of a man, Nicodemus de Gora, describes him as a wealthy first century member of the Sanhedrin who had lost his status and fortune later in life. And some people believe that that Nicodemus is the same Nicodemus of the gospel, the same man that snuck in to have a conversation with Jesus and that his financial losses were because at Jesus' death, he converted to Christianity, leaving the Sanhedrin. And all of this because Jesus was very choosy about who he offended. You see, the gospel is offending. I mean, it is offensive. But the reason that Jesus didn't preach offense usually to the masses, and he usually confronted people face to face, was because his mission was to reach people, not offend them. Now, he knew that he was offensive and the gospel was offensive. But he was careful and he was strategic about how he did it. Now, let me say this. You should never compromise the truth of the gospel, ever. 
if you compromise the truth in order to keep from offending people, guys, it doesn't matter if, we, if they know that we're his disciples because we're never delivering the truth. So I'm not saying don't tell the truth, don't deliver truth, don't proclaim the gospel. But here's the question that I think we need to ask ourselves in this society that tells us, look, look, everybody's, everybody's offended at everything. Here's the question. Why are you delivering that truth? Is your motivation to reach people for Jesus? And if, you, if it is, are we being smart like Jesus and Paul about how we do that? Is it out of love and reconciliation and restitution? You see, we have the same mission that Jesus had. And it's, the, it, it's okay to confront the world with the, with the gospel. But the question is, is it creating restoration? Or is it just we feel good because we're yelling to the crowd that we're right? When you go to an individual, are they like Nicodemus? And are they asking questions and open to change? Or are you casting your pearls before swine? The only way to change somebody's perception and worldview is through the conviction and the, and, the, and the revelation by the Holy Spirit. And guys, that's not our job. Our job is to proclaim truth in love and just do my best not to get in the way by allowing compassion and love to be delivered. Jesus' mission was to reach people, not offend them. And look, there are times when you're gonna offend people with the gospel, me too, and that's okay because Jesus did it, but it's super important that we understand what and why. Look, I can't tell you what you, can, what you should say to an individual at work, to your family member. I can't tell you what you should say on social media. That's not my job to tell you what to think. It's my job to, tell, to give you the word of God and help you know how to think. And so here's what we need to do this week. Pray the same thing that the psalmist prayed. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart test me and know all the things I'm anxious about and see is there any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting will you stand with me